0: This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy.
1: We'll start the show in a moment after a word from a few amazing fundraisers about what they value most as members of Tammy Zonker's Fundraising Transformers community.
2: I have had the honor of learning and growing from Tammy. She has really helped us understand how to communicate better with our donors, how to make sure that our mission is at the front line of their decision making, and she has just been an absolute joy to learn from.
1: That's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, talking about how being a growth member is helping her communicate better with her donors. When you join Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member, you get live training and coaching with Tammy twice each month. You can get your burning questions answered during her live Ask Me Anything sessions. You get to join in Tammy's live weekly hot topic discussions. You can engage with other fundraising pros like you and her private and safe online community. And you get 24-7 access to her growing library of on-demand fundraising training videos and tools. Here's Jenna Sapeluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how being a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community is helping her grow her capacity, her skills, and her confidence as a fundraiser.
3: It's been so helpful for me to grow my capacity and my skills. I feel more confident uh, knowing that I have Tammy and the Fundraising Transformers group For support, I've reached out to Tammy and the group on several occasions, whether it be just some wording for an email to say, hey, can somebody give me just a little bit of feedback on this? I'd love your thoughts before I send this out for an initiative.
1: We'll hear more later in the show about why Jenna values having access to Tammy's members only on demand training library. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth.
0: Today on the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, we are thrilled to welcome my friend Julia Campbell. Julia is a digital marketing and fundraising expert, a nonprofit consultant, and author of Storytelling in the Digital Age A Guide for Nonprofits and How to Build and Mobilize a Social Media Community for Your Nonprofit in 90 Days. And in her spare time, she's the host of Nonprofit Nation podcast, which is really phenomenal. You have to check it out. Julia helps nonprofits build movements and teaches how to build community, audience, and raise influence on social media channels. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tammy. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. So I want to jump in, Julia. You know, you talk a lot about future-proofing your social media and your digital marketing strategy. Tell us about that. Like, what is future-proofing? Why is it important?
4: And how do we do it? Well, I believe that, especially in this climate coming off the heels of the pandemic, and we are still in the pandemic, but with the focus on digital with the focus on all of these different platforms, future-proofing is more important than ever. And what I see as future-proofing is kind of going back to basics, uh, the basic infrastructure and system that you need to create a viable and vibrant digital marketing strategy. So when people say future-proofing, they often come to me and they say, well, how can we possibly future-proof our social media Because there's constantly, constantly new platforms coming up every single day and there's new trends and there's new shiny new tools. And it's not about the tools. It's about the goal. It's about the audience and then matching the platforms that you choose to use with your goals and your audience and then creating content that works for the platform and the audience. So future-proofing is a strategy that digital marketers can use to create their plan that's going to work, whether TikTok is popular or whether email is popular or whether you're having a virtual event on Zoom or a hybrid event. So these are the strategies and the plan that are going to work no matter which tool is popular. And it's so important not to rely on specific platforms because we know with the Apple iOS changes, The data privacy changes all the constant changes with Facebook, with the algorithm, with Instagram, with what's popular, what's coming up and how to really succeed on these platforms. We know that we cannot put all of our eggs in one digital basket per se. We know that having a website is important and will most likely always be important. We know that email is very important and for the foreseeable future will be important. But with social media, it's constantly changing. So it requires us to think like journalists almost. It requires us to do a lot of research and listening to try to figure out where our audience is and what is most relevant to them and what are we really trying to achieve and finding our North Star before we sort of create that plan to get there hmm That's amazing. So let's kind of unpack just one example. So I think
0: examples are just a great way for people to learn. So let's just say that one of my strategies is to increase members in my monthly giving program. So if that is the strategy, where would you direct a client to apply it, which channels, which tools? Again, it's about, not about the tool, mm-hmm. it's, it's about the goal. Mm -hmm. But where where would you take people suggest that they go if they were looking to increase their monthly giving?
4: All right. Well, they already have that goal set in place, which is actually a lot more than you're ahead of the game. (laughs) If you at least know where you're going, because what I see a lot is they say, oh, we want to raise more money. We want more donors. We need more revenue coming in. But if you have a specific goal, like increasing monthly donors, then you can really unpack that and figure out how to get there. So the first thing you need to do is talk to your monthly donors. So potentially send out a survey or even call them on the phone, send emails, talk to a handful of them and really find out what drives them, what motivates them. Find out you know what they, podcasts they listen to, what magazines they read, what they follow on social media, and then find out what really drives them to donate and be um, a participant in your cause. And actually one of the organizations that I give to monthly, they're phenomenal. They're called Amira Incorporated. And they, I don't want to, they don't use the word save, but they rehabilitate people who have been in the sex trafficking trade, which actually is very more prevalent than you think in America, which is shocking. So they have a lot of different programs that they provide and services they provide. But when I joined I got a call immediately and they said, can we just ask you a few questions? And they said, you know, what social media do you use? Do you prefer email? Where do you like to spend time online? What kind of content do you like to read? Do you watch videos? Do you read blogs? And they really picked my brain and started to understand what a monthly donor like me would want. And of course, all of your donors are different, but you're going to start seeing trends. So we can't can't anticipate, we can't think for our donors and say, oh, our monthly donors, they're all on Facebook. Well, we can't assume that. We're really going to have to kind of pick apart and really understand and be much more intentional about how we survey and learn more about our donors' interests and behaviors. So I think that's the very first thing I would do is really do a focused deep dive into where they are, and what they want to learn. And then I would create content that is interesting to them and go where they are. So if you're a really small shop and you only have a few hours a week or maybe you know a few minutes a day to spend on social media, you are not going to be able to be on 20 different platforms. You're probably going to have to pick one that you do exceptionally well. So maybe... Your monthly donors are trending younger and you see that most of them are on Instagram. Well, then that's where you want to focus. And then the key, the other key here is when you create that content, it has to be relevant to this population. So it has to be compelling. It has to be emotional. It has to explain to them why monthly giving is so important, what monthly giving can do. And then I would also potentially feature monthly donors in your communications And have them talk about what it means to them and why they give and how easy it is to give $10 a month. And, you know, you don't have to give up your latte. I cannot stand that line of fundraising. (laughs) I can have my latte and I can still donate $10 a month. Okay. I can have both. So you don't want to be manipulative or make people feel guilty, but you want to talk to them in the language that they use and go to the places that they are at and really build a community of people that are excited, that are interested. And, you know, an advanced strategy would be to connect them with each other, whether that's a Facebook group or maybe a LinkedIn group or some kind of group where they can talk to each other um, and really see that there are so many other people in the world that think the same way they do. Mm,
0: I love that. Thank you. All right. So I have been doing a little bit of reading. um, Well, a lot of bit of reading. (laughs) Yes. And it seems that you know, the supply of web content and social content is doubling every nine to 12 months. In fact, I've just learned this phrase, this new term called content shock, mm-hmm. uh, which has been coined to describe the often overwhelming proliferation of content production and consumption. So in other words, there's just so much coming at us all the time. And as a result here in the U.S., We're spending an average of 10 hours a day on our screens. So at this rate, the average American will spend 44 years of their life in front of a a screen. Isn't that like incredible to think about?
4: Wow. That's pretty incredible. So that probably includes mobile devices and computers. Yes.
0: So how can we manage it all? And how can our messaging
4: rise above the masses to reach our intended audiences? Management of content is definitely a challenge, especially if you're someone like me and you have ideas constantly in your head (laughs) and you're trying to manage all of your great ideas with the actual work that you still have to get done and all of the projects that are still not completed. So for me, when I manage content, I try so hard to whittle it down to what does my audience want. So I have a lot of things I want to say. I have a lot of things I would love to write about, put out there, people I want on my podcast, but I always have to remember it's not about me. It's it's about my perspective and it's about my unique take on things and it's about my voice, but it's not about what I want to create at the end of the day. It's about my audience and what is valuable to them And what do they want to see from me? So, in terms of, I'll talk about the messaging, getting your messaging to rise above, it's never going to reach every single person. So, we can't beat the internet on quantity, but we can beat it on quality. Focus your efforts on your donors, who you want to reach and what matters to them. And if you haven't watched it already, I encourage you to watch the TED Talk. Simon Sinek start with why. And I encourage you to read his book and I encourage you to buy the workbook and follow him on Instagram. Simon Sinek is phenomenal. He talks about our messaging, how our messaging should be focused on the why much more than the how and the what. So when you're trying to reach people, people that don't know who you are, or even people that know a little bit about you, but aren't really in the fold yet, maybe they're not donors yet, or maybe they're first-time donors, They're focused on the problem you're solving. They're focused on the why, and they're focused on how it's going to move the needle on a cause that they care about. Too often, nonprofit messaging focuses on the what and the how. You know, we serve 350 kids, and this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and these are the nuts and bolts of the program. But they don't talk enough about the vision. What would happen if you closed your doors tomorrow? Where would the gaps be? What would be missing in the community, in the region, in the nation, you know, in the world? What would be missing? What would we lose? What are the consequences if we don't fund this? And tell your donors that story. And understanding that not everyone is going to resonate with this messaging or this messaging is not going to resonate with everyone. We have to be okay with some people not agreeing with us. We have to be okay with some people pushing back. We have to be okay with offending people because I'm here to tell you with your messaging, it is going to rub someone the wrong way. I do not care what you do. I know that I've done fundraising for a library. I've done fundraising for school groups. I've done fundraising for historical societies. There's always, always going to be someone out there that disagrees with what you do, that doesn't want you to have funding, that would rather fund something else. So you have to... You have to sort of um, get away from the mentality that you have to please everyone, because if you try to please everyone, you'll please no one. So that's about getting your messaging to rise above it all. It's not, but it it can resonate with the right people who look at it and say, this is something I care about. This is something that's important to me. This is something I want to learn more about and participate in. In terms of content management, I'm a big proponent of time blocking. So when we're talking about content management, we're really talking about a few things. We're talking about, I teach the four pillars of social media management. And so I'll just give you a quick rundown of the four pillars. One, research and listening. That means always having your ear to the ground, learning the trends, seeing what's working with your audience, talking to them about what they want to hear. the second pillar is creating the content. So that's physically creating the videos, the captions, the blog posts, whatever it is, repurposing content. I encourage you to go through all of your annual reports, your website, your grants, your event programs, see what you can repurpose and recycle and maybe put a fresh coat of paint on rather than reinventing the wheel. And then the third pillar is community management. So answering questions, being accessible, answering those DMs, Checking in on comments, following other people, uh, just making sure that your community, the people that follow you online, feel like you're an actual person and not a robot. And then the fourth piece is measurement and analysis. I recommend once a week, maybe once a month, running reports to see are we actually increasing engagement? Are we increasing our monthly donors? What kind of content is working? So we'll just go with the monthly donor example. What kind of content seems to be resonating and working? to increase our monthly donors. Is it maybe TikTok? Are they coming from Instagram? Are they coming from email? So always be analyzing and looking at what you're doing, but blocking time in your calendar to do this, because I'm telling you right now, if you don't block the time out, it's going to get taken up. It's going to get eaten away by Mm -hmm. lots of little things.
0: You know, Julia, we talk about that in the intentional fundraiser as well, block time and buffer time. Yes. And Having the discipline to honor that boundary, that block time, like it is a visit with your most generous, most special donors. Yep. Right? Yep. It's that important.
4: Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Stephen Covey earlier offline. Yes. And Stephen Covey says you have to put the big rocks in before the little rocks and before the sand. So that's how I look at my calendar. You put the big rocks in your calendar that are the immovable, non-negotiable rocks. And then you can kind of fill in the blanks with the little rocks in the sand. And I always love that analogy. It's so powerful. And it's so true. Mm
0: -hmm. Really good.
1: We're back with growth member Jenna Zaplewski from the Coalition for Children, Youth and Families in Milwaukee, talking about how having 24-7 access to Tammy Zonker's on-demand training library is helping her become a better fundraiser.
3: Since joining the Fundraising Transformers group, I have had the opportunity to go back and re-watch a host of trainings on such a wide variety of topics, from how to work with my team members inside my organization to how to get my board excited and passionate about fundraising and topics like how to reach out to a donor and how to get a meeting with a donor.
1: Here's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa sharing that as a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community, you're never alone. How members of the community support one another by sharing resources and lessons learned to help solve tough fundraising problems.
2: You oftentimes learn from other people across the entire country, which is really nice because it helps you understand that you're not alone in your uh, fundraising challenges. um, I was just sharing with someone the other day that it really helped me feel like I wasn't the only one experiencing these challenges, knowing that someone from New York or New Hampshire or Texas, um, people all over the US with varying communities and different fundraising strategies were all in this together.
1: At the end of the show, we'll hear why members enjoy learning from Tammy and what you can expect when you join as a growth member and her Fundraising Transformers community. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth.
0: Wow. And you touched on the four pillars, which again, I think are just really, would you just run through them? again, just to recap that, because I think that's such an important
4: foundational principle for people to embrace. Exactly. And to be successful on social media, you do need to actively block time out for each of these pillars. I have yet to see a strategy or a plan that works, without one of them. So you don't have to spend as much time on all of them. It doesn't have to be, you know, 25%, 25%, 25%. It can be, maybe you spend most of your time with content creation. Maybe you spend a lot of time with community management, but definitely they all need to be there. So the first piece is really thinking like a journalist, like I talked about before, always thinking about what is resonating right now. Maybe what, what are some current events that have implications for our community and for our program and services? What is timely? What is relevant? What is urgent? What is interesting? I mean, a lot of the times we get so focused on our agenda and what we want to teach and what we want to tell people, but we don't do enough research and listening, which is the very first pillar and so, so, so important. Because if we're doing the second pillar, which is content creation without the first pillar, then we're doing it in a vacuum. We're creating content without really knowing if it's going to work and without knowing who we're talking to and what they want to hear from us. And with content creation also comes curation. So curation, if you think about it like a museum and you're a museum curator, you didn't paint those paintings. You simply put them in an exhibit. Well, not simply. I think it was very difficult to do this. (laughs) But you put them in an exhibit and you tied them together in a way that makes sense for the people that are going to go to the exhibit and you added some context and you added some of your voice and your flair to it. So if you look at content curation, this could be sharing a newspaper article. This could be sharing a video, sharing something else from a partner, something that you didn't necessarily create, but you know is relevant to your community and they're going to be interested in it. And then another piece of the content creation pillar is figuring out what works best on the platforms you're on. So this does not mean cutting and pasting. This does not mean setting it and forgetting it and sort of blasting it out the same thing across platforms because what works on Instagram doesn't necessarily work on Pinterest or LinkedIn. You have to mold the content and understand what works. For instance, I just saw a statistic today that says Instagram reels um, are 22% more engaging and get more comments and shares than any other content on Instagram. So as a social media marketer, you have to know that and you have to say, oh, well, we're on Instagram. So what kind of content works? Reels. And that can change. They'll change tomorrow. We have to understand the ins and outs of the platforms we choose. You don't have to be on every platform. I just want to say that 50 (laughs) times. You do not have to be on every platform. Then the third pillar. Managing your community and treating social media like a two-way street and not a one-way street. So you're going to get comments and questions. Hopefully you'll get some great feedback. People will comment on what you do. Maybe they'll they'll DM you. Maybe they'll share it. But always responding and being present and accessible. If you get a lot of negative comments, then what I recommend is having some very strict social media policies in place that you can direct people to. And say, well, this is a violation of our social media policy. We're going to have to delete this comment. Just letting people know and not deleting people arbitrarily or blocking them arbitrarily. Really being very transparent about what you're doing because people do see that. Um, Also directing people offline. If they have a question that you don't want to answer on your public feed, just say, here's my email. Here's my phone number. I'd love to talk to you about this online. But treating social media in this way so people... Don't think that you're a bot. I I really can't stand when I see people responding and asking questions on a post, especially about like an event and nobody's answering their questions. And I think, oh, these people are reaching out. They're interested. They want to hear from you. And yes, probably the information is all right there, (laughs) but we have to, I mean, we really have to understand that people, especially on social media, want an answer when they want it and how they want it. So if we open up the can of worms, we have to manage the community. And then the fourth pillar of measurement and analysis, which is where we get lost and where we get stuck. We don't know what to measure and we don't know how to measure it. I think pick three metrics that you're going to measure from week to week to week or month to month to month. So you can see if there's improvement, you can see if there's growth and the metric always ties back to your goals. What are your goals? What are you hoping to accomplish with social media? And then using that data, don't just measure it, use it to improve and iterate and tweak what you're doing. And maybe you'll see most of your website traffic comes from Twitter, but you don't spend any time on Twitter. So maybe you want to spend more time on Twitter. You'll really start to see trends. You do have to do intentional measurement for quite a few weeks to see these trends, but you'll start seeing the different places where you can maybe put some more effort, or maybe even take a platform away because it's not getting you the results that you want. So mm-hmm. that is just such a key piece to all of this, and also it helps us advocate for our work because we can say this is the work of social media. It's not just posting what we have for lunch; it actually requires a lot of strategy and intention and planning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the the measurement and the outcomes, that analysis is also helpful when you have board members, well-intentioned board members, who have their own biases and are making their own assumptions, perhaps, you know, again, through their lens, but it's not broadly informed by your audience, right? It's an audience of one. So the data can help course correct when you're getting pushback or, you know, they're really trying to influence you to move in a certain direction. You always have the data-
4: to respond with. And it gives you a framework to respond when a board member says we should be on TikTok. Then you can say, well, these are the four pillars that I need to do on TikTok. What else is going to come off my plate? Yeah. Because to do it effectively, I can't just, you know, you can't just add it onto my job description, which I know is so tempting for a lot of well-meaning board members out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really good. All right. So Thank you, Julia. This has been so incredibly helpful and interesting. Our listeners know that at the end of each guest conversation, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions just to provide a little more value for our listeners. And so I'd like to ask you some, are you ready? Yes. All right. Number one, what's the best marketing or fundraising advice you've ever received? Done is
4: better than perfect. (laughs) That was my very first director of development and marketing job because I, of course, was a director of development and marketing at the same time. But my executive director would, you know, we didn't want to have sloppy work, but we'd have to get a grant out. We'd have to get something to the press. We'd have to get a direct mail appeal out. And I would fret over every detail and everything. And eventually she just said, look, done, done in a great way is better than perfect. You'll never achieve complete perfection. So I think that was really life-changing for me.
0: I love that. Yeah. I often talk about the distinction between perfection and excellence. Oh, right. Right. Because excellence is like your personal best or your team's best, Mm -hmm. but is it perfect? Like nothing would ever get across the finish line if it had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Done is better than perfect. Number two, what book do you recommend to our audience and why? And it's okay if it's one of your two beautiful books.
4: Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) yes, you certainly, if you're interested in storytelling um, and social media, you can read my books. Right now, I am completely obsessed with a book called Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business by a woman named Jenny Blake. And it's a time management and productivity book. But what I love about it is, first, it's written by a woman, which for me is really important. For some reason, there's just a different voice, a different perspective than the books I personally, productivity books I have read by men. But she talks about, really talks about how to set up your business in terms of your goal being free time. And I've never heard it. That, quite that way. And I think that it's very relevant for nonprofits as well, because it's a lot about time management, but it's also a lot about what can we eliminate? What can we automate? What can we really prioritize in order to not constantly be spinning our wheels and working until midnight? Because mm-hmm. she defines success as having the time to choose what she wants to do. And that's really how I define it as well. Not more work, not more productivity, not even more money. So I'm I'm pretty obsessed with this book. I recommend it to everyone that I talk to. So it's really good.
0: That's awesome. I will be ordering it. Thank you very much mm-hmm. for that one. Julia, what are the top three characteristics needed to be a successful fundraiser?
4: This is such a great question. And I was really thinking about this because I know that there are two sides to this. A lot of people are talking about professionalizing fundraising, and then a, there's a lot of pushback around that. And I love the discussion about it. And I think that for me, the the characteristics are so much more important than you know, a college degree or how many degrees you have. But for me, I think number one is being curious and not being wedded to the status quo. So number one, being curious not being like, well, this is the way things have always been done. Number two would be accessible. So not always in your office, or if you're in your office, having maybe an open door policy, letting people call you, responding to emails that people are asking, not um, emails or phone calls not related to work, but being accessible and open to your donors and letting them know that they can always call you, they can always reach you. Um, And then also being accessible at events, being accessible you know you really do have to be a little bit of a people person you don't have to be an, an extrovert per se but you have to be willing to talk to people and have conversations and then the third characteristic you can't take things personally mm-hmm. so i don't know if that's easygoing i don't consider myself easygoing at all but i don't take things personally at all really a lot I, you just can't take um a no or rejection or criticism and internalize it and and take it personally. You really have to learn from it, adapt if you want, um, take from it what you will, and then, you know, move on to the next thing.
0: Yeah. So good. And so true. If you are highly sensitive, if you personalize, no, this might not be the profession for you or do some work to get a little bit of that Teflon, right? Like No can mean a lot of different things Mm -hmm. in many of the fundraising contexts, not in everything in life. And we know that very, very well.
4: Uh, Julia, what's your favorite fundraising tool or application? This might surprise people, but I like email. I love email for fundraising and my favorite email service. I use ConvertKit because you can personalize things. You can categorize things. You can add tags. You can segment people. I think that email, when done really well, is still one of the most powerful ways to raise money, especially in the digital realm. So, I mean, emails—I think they're they're just vastly underutilized and misunderstood by the sector. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's my one of my favorite fundraising tools.
0: Love it. Now, this question could get you in some hot water. <laughs> Julia speaks in Keynote, in fact, a lot of conferences. My question is, what's your favorite fundraising conference and why?
4: So there's there's a lot of conferences. So there are marketing conferences. There are specific conferences like the Boys and Girls Club, that kind of thing. But in terms of my favorite fundraising conference, I really think it's Cause Camp. And I will say Cause Camp because it was my very first... Big talk in front of 400 people when I first presented to them, and the atmosphere there is so intimate, even though it is a huge conference. It's in, always held in Lincoln, Nebraska when it's held in person. So it's a small town, and people there are just so friendly and wonderful. And I I just always loved the organizers, the vibe, the other speakers, the way they curate it, and the way they really take care of their attendees. So. I would have to give a shout out to Cause Camp.
0: All right. Way to go, Cause Camp. Last question. Julia, knowing what you do now about fundraising and the nonprofit sector, what advice would you give your younger self who's just getting started in the profession?
4: This is just such a fantastic question. I would tell myself, me personally, I would say, you're not going to get everything correct, but definitely get yourself out there more. So what I did in my very first job, I was actually a development and marketing director, but I was in an office that was not where all of the action happened. So I worked with a domestic violence agency. There was a shelter, uh, there were support groups, and there was a children's program, and there was an administrative office. And all of that happened away from where I worked. And I just didn't have a lot of the courage to get myself out there, put myself out there and ask for what I needed. So my advice would be advocate for what you need and have lots and lots and lots of conversations before diving in and creating a fundraising plan. You have to build up that trust first. You have to really understand your coworkers and understand the cause and understand implications, the solution that you're providing before diving into how many emails are we going to send and how many grants are we going to send out? So I would do a lot more research and discovery before sort of putting my sort of the rubber to the road.
0: Yeah, really good. Julia, thank you for sharing your passion and your expertise with our community today. We so appreciate you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, if you find yourself wanting to learn more about Julia, check out jcsocialmarketing.com. Sign up for Julia's free newsletter to stay in the know about upcoming webinars, conference speaking, and other helpful resources. That's a wrap for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast with me, Tammy Zonker. Until next time, keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.
1: We're back for a final word about Tammy Zonker's training style and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's growth member Jenna Saplewski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee.
3: Tammy is so encouraging. She's very empowering. She really wants you to succeed in your role. And that really comes through with everything that she does from the monthly coaching calls to the monthly webinars. The guidance I've received from Tammy and other members of the Fundraising Transformers group has always been so constructive, so beneficial. And you can tell everyone in the group wants everybody else to succeed because we all know what a challenging job it can be to fundraise for our our wonderful causes and our organizations.
1: You may be asking yourself, can a growth membership really help me improve my fundraising results? Is it worth my time? Laurel Groh from Phoenix Family in Kansas City shared that her organization increased charitable dollars raised by 132% since joining as a growth member. Becky Shambliss from Awake in Anchorage, Alaska shared that her organization increased donor retention from 13% to 69% in about a year using what they learned from Tammy's training. And growth member Amanda Johnson from Multiplying Good in Indianapolis shared that her organization exceeded their annual fundraising goal by 104% and grew overall giving by 13% in one year by applying Lessons Learned from Tammy as a member of her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's member Stevie Schumate again sharing how she and you can grow your fundraising skills as a growth member of Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community.
2: This is the first fundraising role that I have ever been in before. Um, so at 30 years old, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, how do I rocket launch my fundraising expertise? You learn from Tammy Zonker. That's what you do.
1: Become a member of the Fundraising Transformers community. To join our live monthly training and Ask Me Anything sessions and get access to our growing library of on-demand training videos and tools and share lessons learned with other fundraising pros like you in our private and safe online community, visit fundraisingtransform.com growth, click join, and get started today.
0: That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag The TheIntentionalFundraiser and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community where I go live twice a month with my members, with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night, where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations, create a results-driven, donor-centric development plan, strengthen donor relationships, improve your donor retention rates, and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.